Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I am probably not racist. And I'm the machine. Well, okay, this is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Black Klansman. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. Big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions, of course, help us continue this show since the machine does help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. You can expect it's probably up already or going to be very shortly. Liquid Sky. We're talking about Liquid Sky this month. Yeah, banger. It is a very weird movie that me and Dave uh, <laughs> walked out of the theater stupefied. Yes, it was playing in a theater <laughs> for yeah, us to, to go and watch. But it did feel stupid. It is, yeah. uh, it is wild. Dave, you know, one of the things that people tune into this show for, of course, is our deep and uh, expressive reviews on the films that we're focusing on for that specific oh, year. Yeah. But we, they, we're, we smart people, people, <laughs> people also tune into us to understand the Stephen Rich fiction that we, we provide to them mm. each and every mm. week yes. as we unfold yes. a, uh, a slurry of words to them that they get to uh, ingest slurry. into themselves and enjoy. The, the word salad that I have, we have spun for them, for them cool to enjoy. Refuse. Is this making yeah. any sense whatsoever? <laughs> no, no. I, 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 I'm pretty sure. Yeah, slurry. We have a fiction that we are providing. That's what I'm trying to say. Do we though? This year in particular is pretty weak. You remember from a couple of weeks ago how I told you that I had started this rabbit raising business. All these rabbits have overtaken my condo right. since we came back from our space and time adventure, which people can listen to in seasons two and three. Do rabbits smell or is it the wood chips? Trying to get a handle, like it's a leak in my roof. They're like the floor mm. is coming undone. All these rabbits are around. I thought I could raise these rabbits and I, honestly, I want to get out of it. I want to get out of this business completely. Yeah, chop them up. How do you liquidate rabbits? Well, it's pretty easy. Uh, the smaller ones, we just take out the Vitamix and uh, mush them up. Actually, I don't know. What do you do with rabbits? Do you sell them to children? You can children to, to raise, <laughs> like my little niece who uh, loves her little rabbit called PJ. Oh, she, oh, she has a rabbit? Oh, she does, yeah. Very oh, fluffy, wow. puts like little dresses on him and parades him around, which I'm sure he nice. loves. Well, it's better than being dead. So, <laughs> yeah. so many things people would be able to accept if you're like, well, it's better than being dead. Honestly, yeah, I think there's uh, there's some deep spiritual truth to that. This podcast would probably be better if both of you were dead. Anyways, just keep it in mind, trying to find a buyer. A buyer. I'm not trying to sell this. I'm trying to find a buyer for this business. My brother used to work for a big furniture company down in the States, and they tried to make a connection with Costco. And do you know what's interesting about Costco? Is that the Cost Corporation? Is that... Uh, 
One of the big hangups is that their return policy, which is so uh, infamous. Is it 60 days or something? Uh, some of them, it's a lifetime. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. leveraged against the supplier. Mm. Did you know that? I did. So Costco doesn't take the loss. They will go back to the original manufacturer and be like, well, they returned this, so you owe us more money. That's interesting. They're also yeah. very good to their employees from what I've heard. So Allegedly. That's a union, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, who's, who's then good to the employees? The company or the union? I love daddy uh, capitalism, Dave. Okay. I love, I love my daddy. <laughs> Unions don't. Well, actually, no, they do. My dad tried to tell me that uh, weekends would have happened with or without unions the last time I visited. I was like, fine. Okay. Oh, yeah. Great. No, history bears that. Yeah, we <laughs> saw that for uh, 3,000 years that workers were treated fairly. Actually, back to the pyramid times. Oh, you guys need some time <laughs> off? Oh, yeah. Take as much as you want. You we're know totally what? Cool this thing, uh, it's going to take another 100 years anyway. So why don't you guys take a week, you know, just recharge so we can have a revitalized workforce who's really into pulling giant stones up this ramp. You see, you don't want to be whipped as much. Oh, okay. Well, I know I had <laughs> we never had no considered idea. that. I, uh, <laughs> you're a human being? Wow. Dave, we should let people in on some of our history with some of the people involved with this movie. This is probably, mm -hmm. I'm assuming, the first time you watched Black Landsman? Yes. I watched this for the first time in 2019, uh, probably because I knew it had been nominated for a Best Picture Academy Award. So I watched it at home. That's the first time I watched it, I know for sure. I rented it off of iTunes. I don't know. I, but I did watch it at home. Remember, enjoying this movie. But I want to know what your history is with Spike Lee. Well, Spike Lee is a cultural touchstone for anybody my age. Mostly, I think, I mean, obviously for cinephiles, for his film work. But the big thing I realized when I was uh, thinking about Spike Lee is uh, for the Nike commercials. I was going to say, so like the Air Jordan commercials. No. Yeah, yeah, 100%. As hip-hop and sort of repressed, ur repressed urban uh, black culture started to make its way into the mainstream, Spike Lee was a pretty big part of that, building consumable media that still had powerful messaging in it. Mm -hmm. And of course, Nike, there's a new documentary coming out, which I probably don't want to see with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck about Nike. But having read is that- Is it a documentary or is it an actual movie? Uh, it's, I'm sorry. It's a movie- Yeah, because Ben Affleck is directing it, is he not? Yeah. 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 No, he's in it. Yeah, he plays the mm. fat CEO of the dying Nike. But I've read a, an essay about how they were built. It's fascinating. I think they were only making like cross-country shoes or some garbage. Mm. Uh, and they were going to go out of business until uh, somebody decided to gamble on Michael Jordan. At any rate, yeah, all that stuff was uh, for me a tie-in to Spike Lee and his like flip-up uh, cycling cap because that's his look at the time. And uh, I don't think I've seen Do the Right Thing. I feel like I've seen oh, you've not She's seen Gotta Do the Right it, Thing. I don't think so. Oh wow! I'd have to watch it to be sure. Well, to to be fair, I'm 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 acting surprised. I only watched it for the first time like a month and a half ago. But well, uh, that's the thing. I missed on Criterion. I think his first movie that I watched. Yeah, you know, I realized I was looking at his filmography. I saw Mo Better Blues. Okay. So I feel like that's mid '90s, I think, because that's about the time oh, I'm going yeah, to see theaters. Early for to mid, yeah, yeah. So like, do I think I'm ten, right? Uh, In '89 think, when that comes out. Yeah, 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 ten or eleven. So I'm not watching that. <laughs> I'm watching Transformers the movie. You know, so. I want to bring back do the right thing in one aspect because there is a link at least at the Academy Awards between that movie and this movie yes, and yes. how it was handled. I read about but, that too. Yeah. We should talk about the idea of controversy for controversy's sake but sure let's let's I mean, move on yeah spike lee is also a pretty polarizing figure i guess is the is one way to do it he is he has never not been outspoken yeah. he's one of the few people 
in the entertainment industry that if you ask him directly, what do you think of this movie? He'll tell you if he hated it. He was like, I think yeah. it's a bad movie or I think this is <laughs> a terrible thing, uh, which is what right? he thought about Driving Miss Daisy when, <laughs> when uh, mm-hmm. he was nominated against that for Do the Right Thing. And also the eventual winner for this year for uh, Green yeah. Book. He was not a big fan. <laughs> Of that movie. Scorsese is good for that too. He doesn't really like to mince words either. In theaters, the only movie of Spike Lee's I've seen in a theater is Inside Man. I saw that too. Uh, which was, I remember being like, it was fine. <laughs> oh, I liked it a lot. Yeah. But again, that's one time I've only watched that. So I might want to do a revisit. He made a deal with Netflix shortly after this movie came out. So I watched The Five Bloods, which I really liked. I really yeah, liked I didn't that see movie it. a lot. Also on my eternal watch list. My watch list is bigger than their library. I know. It's fucking ridiculous. In in the same year, Spike Lee is also really um, into going and recording live Broadway shows, weirdly enough. Okay. So he did a couple of John Leguizamo one-man shows that were on Broadway. He went and filmed that. He did Passing Strange back in the 90s. But he also did the David Byrne American Utopia, which was on Broadway at the time. And he went and filmed that. Beautiful little Hmm. film capturing what was happening in the theater that's a really cool 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 movie to go and watch if you can find it i mean he's a new yorker so i guess i shouldn't be surprised he loves broadway to your point like the scorsese comparison he kind of does go back and forth between doing documentaries fiction films Mm. he's tried his hand at different styles and yeah in a bunch of different ways um you can definitely tell like his changing I don't know, style. Temperament? Yeah. No, st- I was going to say style. Like, if you do go and watch a Mo Better Blues or She's Gotta Have It or Do the Right Thing, it's very bold, it's very in your face. Um, and then you have stuff like this and Five Bloods. And there's definitely provocative things, but it's not like throwing the camera at different things or mm. uh, doing formal useful. expressions or, or, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, trying to change the form. He's come mm-hmm. much more of like a, you know, like a traditional filmmaker almost and using the subject matter to be what's provocative and not necessarily how he's filming it to be provocative. Mm-hmm. I lost is a value term, but maybe lost touch with some of the visual language. It's interesting. It's like pop stars or rock bands. You know, once you hit a certain saturation point of popularity and income, you lose grit, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, your life is different well, and your experiences are different. You also become so, rich. So you kind of start to become well, slightly out of touch. Like, uh, is Dr. Dre still in touch with hip hop music anymore? Yeah. Or Puff Daddy or these guys, you know, it's like they may still produce young artists, but their perspective is going to change every year. Now, not intentionally or not even a sellout. It's just your You're different. environmental. Yeah. Spike Lee wasn't in front row at the uh, Madison Square Gardens yeah, when he was 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. Now that being said, I do think... That there has always been and continues to be this undercurrent of anger that you can feel in Spike Lee movies. Like, I don't think he makes things just to make things. I think he makes things like, I am passionate about this. I want you to be confronted by what I'm angry about. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But I think that's something for me that detracted from this film. uh, I follow the ABA method. Always be angry. Last thing is talking about movies that have been in my watch list for a long time is Malcolm X. I still have not watched that movie because it's four mm-hmm. hours long. And it's like, I just, <laughs> I need to have some time carved out in my day if I'm going to go and watch a really long movie. So talking about the star, though, of Malcolm X, his son is the star of this movie, which is John yeah. David Washington. So any thoughts or feelings about him? I'm not actually a huge fan of his. I learned 
doing quick background, he he was trying to be a professional football player, which I think is fascinating. Mm. But yeah, you and I know this because we've talked about, I'm not, I didn't like Tenet very much. Uh, we'll talk about what I think about him in this film. And I saw him in something else. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other thing that I've seen. Him I in. didn't watch Malcolm and Marie, but oh, I saw him. Oh, that's the other thing. Yeah, I did not like that movie at all. So Yeah, I saw him in something else too. Maybe one of his first. Yeah, I I think, I mean, it's hard. It's like. Um, He's so, still so new in his career. So it's sometimes hard yeah. to make a broad statement too. Oh, there's also a shadow, right? Yes. And I think like, I mean, I don't know if he tries to be a Denzel. They don't really act the same, but no. the expectation becomes too high because you don't want to respect that they are uh, learning the craft. Also, he's getting, I suspect, bigger roles more quickly because of his dad's notoriety. I mean, I, I don't think he's cut his teeth very well and there's a lot of potential and he does some gravitas moments really well but I, like in this movie i thought he's the weak link in this film actually i think i think he shows a, a bit of charisma more in this movie than any other film role that i've seen him mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. to the point where i think we were talking about this i think it was even last week there's some actors who feel like they get pigeonholed into into a role that they're not best suited for and it's right. not until they break out of that, they're like, oh, where's this person been? Channing Tatum. That's my biggest one. It's like, oh, you're not trying to be the leading man anymore. You're just being a goofball and it works so well for you. The other person that I would probably throw into that, and maybe it's just because I watched, uh, rewatched 12 Monkeys the other night, is um, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is, I'm not the first person to say this, I'm totally stealing this, is a character actor who had the misfortune of being born into a lead actor's body. Because <laughs> he's, I think, so much more interesting when he's the supporting weirdo than when he's leading a movie. He does weird very well. Even Bullet Train, if he had mm-hmm. been one of the side characters, it would have worked so much better. But following him through the whole, mm-hmm. every scene, it gets tiresome. Which is too bad because, yeah, he is under respected maybe it's a colin farrell thing you know there's something uncomfortable where he's at and when he finds that spot uh he's very good i love 12 monkeys he's uh he's very good in that how about adam driver i mean uh, now everybody knows adam driver i feel Um, this is still kind of early in his well he's interesting he's already become quite prolific kind of like timothy chamelay but not in tone but he is willing to take on all kinds of weird roles mm-hmm. and i think he gained notoriety not just because of star wars but because of saturday Night life and being able to parody himself so uh well i think that was a big thing again it, it goes to our thing like as soon as you show that you're weird people i think have are more naturally yep. drawn to you it's a movie thing man you, you gotta be weird there's gotta be something i will say he had been doing a bunch of like supporting roles up until this point and he was on the tv show girls i never watched it so i don't know what his performance in girls was like but this is when i started to take notice of him this is where i have to be it's just gonna sound like an underhanded compliment but i firmly believe this to be true if you were just showing a picture of of adam driver with his shirt on but if you just looked at adam driver you'd be like who's this guy like he's so i feel nondescript and not, not like super traditionally attractive as soon as he opens his mouth and he acts and he's like does his thing i want to climb him like a tree and i don't know what it is i don't know what it is (laughs) it's such a uh, weird pornographic situation that 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 i find myself in i think he's a brilliant actor like i love adam driver i don't even know if we've seen like his height yet and i think that's what makes me excited about him because he can do comedy he can be very dramatic uh i love his performances on saturday night live because he commits the bit 
Like if he's in, if he's being a weirdo, he is the ultimate weirdo in that sketch, and he just goes for it. You know what? It, you know what that is, uh, Cal. He's fucking dark. Yeah, and well, he was like a Navy SEAL. What was he? I forget. He was some sort of special ops. Yeah, he was a Marine. But he, that's a guy that it will come out in his biography has suffered a great deal of trauma because uh, like some of the big comedians we talk about, he has so much, I think it's the depth. Like, so when he opens his mouth, depending on whatever characters he's embodying, there's something so intense, kind of like he's almost fighting for his life. And I read uh, today too that he will not, watch anything he does a little De Niro-y that way right well, so I was gonna bring up De Niro and maybe even Pacino in a way you watch them when they're younger and there is yeah. just like this simmering like there's anger, something anger right? darkness yeah. to them that yeah. can't help but like escape their performances and I kind of feel the same thing Gene Hackman all the guys that grew up in a shit apartment mm-hmm. <laughs> sucking rusty tap water to survive <laughs> their uh, acting dues they have that that tension in everything they do and uh you know i think i think he's great he's he's pretty fun i also read today just a little bit about him that he may not be the easiest person to be around i, I suspect I, so. can, I can understand that too yeah i i i guess i've never heard anything like aggressive yeah he doesn't have a what do you call it controversies yet but yeah he self-describes like he described himself as somebody who didn't make friends very easily and did a lot of uh crazy things when he was young and, to me it yeah. looks like it's one of those those situations and maybe i'm projecting probably am projecting yourself climbing up the on climbing him, of that apparently. tree i uh, know <laughs> is, is him um i think people that are just don't naturally have to be the center of attention or are not like super extroverted have no problem just like sitting there and not saying anything and that can sometimes mm. come across as being aloof aloof Cold. uppity pretentious yeah. whatever it happens to me and it's just like i'm just being quiet i don't need to be talking the entire time and it's just the thing with his uh with his family like he just does not talk about his married life at all because like they didn't sign up for this i'm the actor you can t- ask me questions they don't need to be part of this conversation i wonder if this is a new pushback to paparazzi culture like we saw emma stone does this too it's mm-hmm. uh it's nice to see some of the younger youngish acting talent separate the idea of celebrity and their craft and i know that the majority of people want the other way particularly the social media generation uh hollow fucking useless pieces of shit but uh you know it's nice when you see someone who actually has talent Mm -hmm. want to just use that talent uh, for its purpose you know in an idealistic and naive way so i respect that i have yet to see him in anything that i disliked him in but i do note that even when he's being funny he's super dark so i I haven't watched marriage story and haven't watched movies i know will upset me Uh, i just haven't been in the mood but i heard he's very good in it so uh you can go and watch francis ha he has a fun little supporting performance that's been oh man that's also been a wish list but my wife hates Greta. really Gerwig, yeah. Oh, I love so, her so much. Anytime she comes up, she's like, we're not watching it. I'm like, Ugh. I love Another her so one much. that has to be in the corner of a room someday on my iPhone. So, mm-hmm. what are you do? All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about this movie in more depth with you. But before we do that, let's go and thank some sponsors. So, we'll go take a break. And then when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit more about Black Klansmen. Do you think you'd ever be able to, like, infiltrate an organization of any kind? Well, I infiltrated this one. <laughs> How so? Huh. You think I'm an Asian Canadian uh, talking to you, but except rips off <laughs> I'm mask. actually it's Scooby Doo. Yeah, I'm actually here from the KKK. Yikes! 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 Um, have you actually ever been around a KKK demonstration? Uh, demonstration? No, I've been uh, racially abused on the street. Does that okay. count? Well, that's probably <laughs> similar. I this was like 
first or second year when I moved to Calgary. I don't think I even had a car yet, so I was still taking public transit everywhere. Do not remember the setup to this, but I came downtown one weekend. Oh, City Which Hall? was the weekend. By the, uh, street church? Well, no, there was literally a white power rally happening in the streets. So it was like literal nice. Nazis walking down like, why is this a thing? <laughs> and that's when I found out that Calgary just allowed anyone to demonstrate. It didn't matter what your organization was, at least at the time. I actually don't know if that's changed since that time, but uh, it was very off-putting for me because it's like you hear about this type of stuff. And I even grew up in a small town, but it's like I never saw this outward display of mm. of, of hate quite so visibly before. I'm like, ooh, this is, this is not great. That's... Happened in Toronto, I think, just quickly on democracy, I think that should be allowed and the guiding principle should be violence because it is a pressure release valve, isn't it, Kyle? Mm. And I think that uh, on every corner, you should be allowed to just be a dick in public as long as you aren't uh, harming other people. Even Trudeau's worry about the truck convoy here, never mind what was going on in the States, up to the point where you're actually breaking shit or... You know, interfering with a bystander. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want. And I believe you should be able to punch a Nazi in the face. Well, you will go to jail. I mean, there's <laughs> lots of ethical debate about uh, revenge, for example. So if somebody harms someone you love and then you go and uh, get your retribution, are you a criminal? Fucking right you are, right? You may be justified, but you did still do the violent act. Mm -hmm. So yeah, punch Nazis, fuck them. But uh, you are then at their level aren't you i still would say i'm better but okay um <laughs> that, that's where my morality lies dave of course we are the best people to talk about racial dynamics in the united states specifically but colony versus the machine is a proud member of the alberta podcast network locally grown community supported the alberta podcast network promotes and supports alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with alberta based businesses and organizations i just point out i've never punched a person in my entire life so like <laughs> it's very big of me to say like yeah Go and do it. Uh, I'm going to tell you about Taproot Publishing, who I bet is so glad that they have decided to sponsor this week's episode. You know, Taproot Spotlight is a service that helps businesses and organizations pay attention to the people that they serve. Taproot tells you the news about the people and companies that are important to you. Use that information internally to keep everyone on the same page or share it with the world in your newsletter, on your website, and on your social media channels. David, paying attention pays dividends let me what? say it one more time Sorry. yeah paying attention, attention pays dividends oh nice you and everyone that's listening can find out more at taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight one more time that's taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight for my part Kyle, we're in a bit of a hurry here i've got a little message from storyhive the problem is we got a deadline here. So let me get through this. Mm -hmm. Calling all new and emerging content creators in BC and Alberta. In case you haven't heard of StoryHive, they've been supporting storytellers in Western Canada since 2013. This year, they're celebrating their 10th anniversary with their biggest edition yet. The StoryHive Anniversary Documentary Edition is funding 80, Kyle, 8 to 0, short documentaries on any local story you are passionate about. We should have pitched one about a movie about ourselves. You could get $20,000 in production funding, training and mentorship, and distribution on TELUS Optic TV and Stream Plus. If you live in BC or Alberta and you have an idea for a short documentary, now is the time to send in your pitch. And here's why it's a rush. You've got to send your application in by February 28th, which is uh, six more days as of the publishing of this episode. Uh, your story, 
your narrative. Less than six days? Yeah, something like that. Whatever. Dave, we have now sat down. I've rewatched the movie. You're watching mm-hmm. it for the first time. Uh, but we should do a little scenario to get people up to date if they have not seen the movie before, kind of what the plot is all about. So uh, let's say that uh, we're downtown Calgary <laughs> and a rally is happening. I'm not going to say what kind of rally, but a rally mm-hmm. is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone comes over and they're holding their clutching freedom rally? a copy mm-hmm. of Black Klansman on DVD. Oh, then not the freedom rally. And they're like, please tell me, sir, what is this about? <laughs> they're like so <laughs> desperate to know. It's like a- it's a rally for period players. Because yeah. they can't read, Dave. They can't read. He's pretending that he's in England. It's a Charles Dickens uh, rally. You give them some <laughs> slop and then tell them what, <laughs> what this is about. It is a, it's a story based on a true story of a naive young black police detective who infiltrates the KKK uh, by the phone to uncover a potentially sinister plot against black liberation youth Mm -hmm. movement. He's a black man who gets into, because he's using the phone, into the KKK. KKK. Obviously, he cannot go and infiltrate himself, so he has to use one of his other co-detectives, a white man, played by Adam Driver, to be the actual cipher into the organization. Uh, What were your thoughts, though, Dave? Tell me your first thoughts on watching this movie. Uh, I was a tad over lukewarm. I mean, I, I can understand why... Any Spike Lee movie, especially a movie of this nature released in 2018, would find such a fervent audience. But I think as a movie, it's pretty uneven. So there are beautiful sequences. So anytime, like when Harry Belafonte came out oh and God. did his scene about what happened in 190 fucking whatever. Which apparently is a true story. Yeah, that is a true story. Yeah. 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 And uh, it, that's fucking bone chilling, right? Mm-hmm. I loved, uh, well, I can't remember the actor's name when he's being the um, Black Panther speaker. And I love the beautiful uh, shots where they fade into the captive audience. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Face so is cool. beautiful, artistic, gorgeously shot. And I learned this after. I, I knew that, for example, like little things, and, and this is what's disappointing for a Spike Lee joint uh, as a civil rights conversation. This Hollywood book tie-in of like the racist cop getting his from an undercover investigation fucking annoying it also never happened i think that uh, some of the writing so for example adam driver's character he actually comes off like not incompetent but just completely devoid of any involvement in this process and i think it's because apparently the actual partners are still protected and we don't actually know who they are so a lot of that plot line had to be invented I'm kind of getting tired. We said this about if Beale Street could talk. I understand the visual language of painting racists as demons, but they really got to start this casting process not finding the most grotesque people to be the bad guys. It's just becoming this point where it actually makes them seem not real. So you have the KKK member who's like the most excitable violent guy and mm -hmm. he doesn't look like a human being. Like he's literally twisted. You have the racist cop who also looks like he's generated by a fucking computer game. And just like if Beale Street could talk, seeing things that are so grotesque, I think actually serves the opposing thing where it it separates us, makes us ambivalent because we don't get to recognize how close these people actually are to us. You almost get this idea like, well, if I see someone with a sinister face and he's sneering all the time, then he's a racist. It's like, no, a lot of people that commit these atrocities look like your fucking baker. I just want to push back a little bit on that point because I guess I'll agree with you 
on, on the example you just gave, like the cop and then like the main person that they're communicating with. But I don't think David Duke comes off that way at all. He's like your normal preppy white guy. Yeah, I don't yeah. think the yeah. guy's wife comes off that way. I think she's the most chilling. She's so bubbly and happy, but is also violently racist. So I think that there are these elements of like, oh, that is like literally my next door neighbor or could be my next door neighbor who seems like they have their head on their shoulders, but is also so off the rails. Maybe because I don't like Topher Grace. <laughs> And he's not doing himself any favors having had trouble finding a role after sure. Venom by playing David Duke. How do, how weird was it when they cut back to actual David Duke Average. and how they actually kind of look similar? I know. I was going to bring this up. It's, like, it's weird <laughs> that they kind of look Good similar. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I, even for, for me, even the way the housewife is portrayed and the casting choice, it's just so, I don't know. I mean, this story is insightful enough that we get direct correlation between disenfranchised black uh, youth and then disenfranchised white hate speech people. Mm -hmm. We get a direct comparison that they both hate the same things. They just hate each other. It's weird, right? We're not painting too broad of a brush, but by the end of the film, I felt, I just felt conflicted. Underlying civil rights message is so important. And I think that when I read glowing reviews, people who uh, really needed yet another platform to just prove that there's this sickness, I think that's important. But stopping short where it's just hate mongering for the sake of hate is a dangerous ploy, I think, in narrative devices, because we're missing out on a bigger conversation here, which I think we saw in If Beale Street Could Talk, which is the human element of where sure. people exist. This is much more a more digestible entertainment, weirdly enough, than If Beale yes. Street Could Talk, which I think is what I enjoy, enjoy it. It's not just like in grimness and darkness and evilness for the well, entire runtime. If run Beale time. Street Could Talk was not... No, right? I know, but there's a different tone in that movie too. There's 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 hope and love and stuff in there, but there's not a lot of like a lightness. I would uh, I would argue either in That's, that movie. Isn't that the thing? Like, isn't the so-called humor in this movie corrupted by the fact that it's also cynical? And th and this is why I didn't like John da John David John David Washington's character. To me, he doesn't seem like a real human being when he's hamming it up. He's like a cartoon character. When he's trying to play it cool, he sounds like a white guy pretending to be black. Like there's so many incongruities. Sorry, my mouth is dry as usual. Um, with the way he's portrayed, I actually felt like the weakest parts were when he's driving the story. I mean, mm. why once he's set up the first call, is he still masquerading as the voice when it actually doesn't make sense to continue doing that um, right no the I other think, guy I think... could take over the conversation easily even if he's still running the show it, there's just little things like that where by the end i'm like everybody's putting themselves in extreme exposed danger almost just for the sake of making a movie more visually violent well i think both of us need to also uh, own up to the fact that neither of us have read the book so i don't know how much all of that follows along necessarily with it it's true but from the brief overview from the Wikipedia, I suspect that pieces are intentionally withheld as well. I mean, this is a pretty, you know, even in the conclusion, that, that final call to make fun of David Duke, that didn't happen, right? Yep. There's just something about this that feels... Yeah, I mean, this is, again, different fair, tones, but... different things, but it is somewhat similar to like Inglorious Bastards for a moment, which is like, but what if... We could have burned Hitler alive mm -hmm. in this thing. You get that catharsis a little bit of like, oh, wouldn't it have been I cool didn't. if this had actually happened when it didn't actually happen? I don't know. I didn't get catharsis. I, I thought it cheapened it. I really did. And I think- In uh, this movie or are we talking- In or, this movie. Yeah, okay. You know, me and Quentin don't get along anymore. 
because <laughs> he ran over your dog. Um, he's just, what well, you know, it's half the same problem. You know, it's pulp for pulp's sake. I, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't mind the pulpiness of it. That's what it starts off with. So I don't think it's an inconsistent but tone. That's the intent. And I think this is the problem with the tone is that I, I get the feeling that Spike Lee softens the edges so that, frankly, white audiences can find it palatable. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's sick because it takes away from the story. I don't know. I, I, I think that if you're driving away the audience that needs to hear it, then who are you talking to? Yeah, but, you're just talking to the people that already have that message. So I know, but why? here's the problem. The people that quote unquote need to hear it aren't watching this movie in the first place. Nobody who ascribes to the KKK. Well, yeah, but that's not the audience either. The, the, the audience for this is the people the who the could people be that, swayed by, I don't know, the radical right, we'll call them. The, you know what the audience this appeals to, which I think is a mistake, is the people that put fucking black squares on their Instagram and these white people well, that profess that they have black yeah, friends. Yeah, I actually do agree with that because I think that- But they don't the, get any better for it. They're still racist and privileged. And that's what makes me upset is that it doesn't actually help the discourse for people to be like, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, I guess I've thought that before. It doesn't. They still have the same biases. We need a different conversation. We need to reframe the sicknesses that I don't are know. in this. I, I honestly think you're just dismissing whole tracks of this movie that are actually confronting these questions. Because there's even that discussion between, God, I keep reading his name too, John David Washington. Is that what his yeah, name is? John David John Washington. John David Washington and then the leader of the, the student union where he basically says like, well, what are you doing though? Like, yes, you're standing up and saying all the right things and like saying truth to power, but you're not actually actively trying to make change happen no and see, i that's, am trying to make change happen no and that's that's the big conflict that they could have spent more time on is the idea of immediate results versus long-term gain that would if we took that at surface value negate anything that any civil rights leader has done for the last 200 400 a thousand years i mean even if we go outside the context of north america and we look at the brutality of any racial eugenic or fucking cultural oppression in the history of the world, you know, 200,000 years of this is what constitutes any war. Who makes change? The, the people that kill the most people or the people that speak and share the cultural sufferings that they've been through? Was Harry Belafonte more powerful? Was John David Washington more powerful? And I think Spike Lee knows this. It's why he uses such a beautiful pacing for that speech and that storytelling. But I think the idea of softening that so that uh, we get this counter narrative that we still have to trust the process is, is problematic. That tension for me is not resolved because at least the experience I'm living, the most powerful moment for me is when Adam Driver and him are, and uh, John David Washington are talking about passing and how... Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Adam Driver's... Uh, He's Jewish. Jewish. Jewish character's inability to you know, connect with either culture left him in the, the middle. I mean, that's the life I lead. And I think that is a storyline that could open up, which is why I felt a little disappointed with the writing of Adam Driver's character. He, he plays, for the most part, a bit of a puppet. And all of that tension from being challenged to renounce being Jewish uh, disappears after that one violent scene. You know, it's not important anymore, which I think is a huge miss. That's why, I don't know, I had I finished this movie, it's too long anyways, thinking like, I, I understand why people like it. I like Spike Lee's ability to build visual artistic language. I hated the ending 
fuck you clips of the documentary things. I think that's a different movie. I think it's important. Well, that's also a very spikely thing. He's done that in his like last four or five films, like really show what's happening in present day. I don't know. Like I go back and forth. He does this, it's the same thing into Five Bloods, and like that one, I actually do agree with. Like, oh, okay, you're a bit stretching the narrative here. I actually think it works in this one for me because the whole thing is like, this is not, oh, well, they cleaned up the KKK and everything is perfect now. It's like, no, that guy still exists. He still runs for a whole political office. He still holds rallies. He still is here. The underlying thing of like these people that are in the military and then the police and then everywhere else still exists. This is not something that just happened 40 years ago and then went away. It is something that still lives with us here now. Um, so I don't know. That kind of works for me, I think, as like a fast forward of like, this is what is happening right now today. But here's the thing. We already know that. We don't need the documentary footage. You already know that, though. I don't think everyone but I, does. But isn't that the sickness? Is that the people who don't know that, you know, the MAGA people, the people that may not try to get a card from the KKK, but say things like, you know what, I'm not racist, but things were better in the 50s. You know what, like when my grandpa was founding the fucking city of Calgary, Mm. he had a lot easier because everybody knew his name. Those people are not going to take the right message out of this fucking movie just because at the end they showed a white power rally. They're the people who are attending that shit. And they're the ones that think that they're protected by Trump's part where he's saying, well, not everybody here is a hate speech. Those are not the people that get the right message. What this does is it just irritates the people who are aware of a problem, but also doesn't offer them a solution. It is in fact, ironically, more cynical than just putting the message that this thing exists. It's defeatist. I don't know if a movie's job is to provide a solution. I'll, I'll just put that there. I like to tell everyone what they should think. One thing I think that is interesting, I do actually want to get into the parts that I don't like about this movie, although I'm much more positive on this movie than you are, apparently. One of the things I actually really like about this movie, too, is the idea of how the black experience and black people in the total have also been corrupted by Hollywood. Now, I think what your position is like, well, this movie just kind of does the same thing. But it's interesting how we start with Gone with the Wind and we see how people like, well, those are like the good black people ones. We see later Birth of a Nation play such a pivotal role in this causing this this fear of like the black people rising up in the south and was used as propaganda if you know the history of birth of a nation and i love their conversation about uh, black exploitation because they were i mean it's the 70s their black exploitation is a thing uh, and they even bring up it's like i love shaft like i love superfly but are they actually good for the black community because it's still just pimps and criminals so i like how it's playing around a little bit with how people have been portrayed in film specifically yeah well this is Well, ultimately, I think I'm disappointed. I felt like watching this, I know Spike Lee's so intelligent and so entrenched and involved in this conversation, but I feel like this film is almost intentionally handcuffing itself and promoting itself to an audience that, I don't know, I just think it misses the mark. I think it needed to choose for me one or the other. I think it needed to either be attempting at something very hard-hitting and serious, or it needed to be so over the top and sarcastic. And I think it tried to be both. You know, there are parts where uh, John David Washington's character is goofing around and, and making funny faces, and Adam Driver's being his usual, like, when he does comedy and deadpan. Mm. And then there's some parts that are just... There's also this competition. How many fucking racial uh like how many racist terms they could throw it in dialogue it was almost like a competition with the writers how many times can we drop the n-word you know call people this call people that and it got so exhausting i got by the end i just 
it almost desensitizes you to it. I can't handle it. I, I'm sorry, I mean, most. If you, I don't know. <laughs> I think actual racist people don't have a problem using those words. No, I, I, I think. I guess my my feeling is that it's just um, it got to the point where it's not useful to the to the rhetoric for them to simply just constantly. It's like each character just tried to outdo the other in using the N-word in a different way. And uh, we could argue whether racists speak like that. I think that's besides the point. I think it's more about, again, painting an enemy. It's counter-propaganda, right? Painting the enemy as not human, as incapable of intellectual sort of discourse. I think there's a danger in that, right? Like we talked about the earlier... If you commit a crime and you think you're justified, does that mean you didn't commit a crime? No, but you could be justified. I mean, that's the gray area that you go into. No, you can't be justified. The action's the action. You can have self-justification, but you still have to take the consequences. You do, right? Uh, right, but I think we're arguing two different things here. Like if someone, I'm just saying, if someone pushed your wife over in the street and you slugged the guy, I'm not going to say, well, Dave was in the wrong. Yes, you might go to jail for it because of your assault, but I would never say like, well, Dave was wrong for punching the guy. Yeah, but wrong and lawful are two different problems. Yeah. And that is to the core of that debate you're and talking I, That's why I said moral. <laughs> Mor yeah, moral is weird though, because it has a lot of loaded Christian Christian backing in that. But anyways, that little debate between uh, the girl from Spider-Man <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, John David Washington is telling, I found- Oh. But about that scene, by the way, I was going to call this out. I had it written down. So the 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 speaker that they have that comes and speaks at that first organization, the first one, yeah, yeah, Kwame something. I forget what the guy's name is. Anyways, the actor, his name is Corey Hawkins. I'm calling my shot now. I think he's going to be like a superstar by the end of this year, in particular, in a bunch of stuff. He's a good actor. Well, not just that, but he's like been getting some good buzz here and there of some of his other like supporting performances because uh, he's two big movies coming out this year. He's only been in 14 films, by the way, as of this recording. Sorry, there's only 12 films he's been in as of this recording. The other two have not been released yet. So he's very, very early in his career. He is in this movie called The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is a, a Dracula story. In the novel Dracula, if you've ever read it, there's a very brief passage about the ship called the Demeter coming over to London that ran into troubles and all the crew died. The quick thing is that because Dracula killed them all. It's literally just a one sentence thing. So this is an entire movie on that idea. Uh, the other one is The Color Purple, the movie The Color Purple that's being made this year. Are they redoing that? They're doing an adaptation of the musical The Color Purple. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Which was a huge hit on Broadway. People loved it. And I'm very excited by the people that they've cast in it. So anyways, I think by the end of this year, Corey Hawkins is going to be like this huge, huge name and star. This better not have jinxed him. And he's great in that one little scene that he's in, so. No, he's, yeah, he's got a lot of, I mean, all the actors are good in this. It's shot reasonably well. I mean, I love when it gets more atmospheric, artistic, mm -hmm. and uh, not surreal, but yeah, just kind of ethereal, almost. Talking about the movies, did you like the little call out to Last Picture Show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I noted it. <laughs> I know, understand that reference. Have we now watched that film? Because I hadn't when I first watched this movie, so. Well, I, I was basically that uh, white detective at the desk. Um, okay, so it sounds like you have like more of an issue with like the thematic stuff in this movie. I actually have more of a problem with some of the formalistic things in this movie. That's where it drags my score down from like, say, a perfect score. I do agree with you. I think it's a bit too long in the tooth. I think there could have been some editing, some pruning, if we want to say that in the midsection, because it does get a little, <laughs> uh, mm. I don't know, bloated, I would say in the middle. 
My biggest thing is actually, yeah, the, the wrap up of the ending where it has like an extra 15 minutes. I don't think needs to actually be there. I agree no. with like the like the hit on like the what would you call that? Uh, sting. The setup, the sting. The sting doesn't need to be yeah. there i'd cut that entire scene out the ending with the bomb mm. i think it's such a miss just yeah. as an audience that we know where the bomb is i think that yeah. that should be a complete surprise when that actually finally explodes and, and then explodes next to where the bad guy's car is so i i don't know i don't like the fact that as me as an audience member knows where the bomb actually is located because there are so many high-paced action films the way that that sequence robs it of its tension. So not only do we know that the bomb's under the car and that, uh, you know, this woman's actually not in danger, yeah. but he had the opportunity to have four or five players arrive at the scene within two minutes to create tension. And he just shot them sequentially for the story. And so by the time the races show up and blow themselves up, it's almost a foregone conclusion. Yeah, yeah. it's not shocking. And it's so belabored. Like, I feel like that should be like a bit of a payoff to it where it's like, oh no, they're going to get the blow up the house brought everything in yeah on top of each other yeah. you know like if we we could have had they don't arrive at the same time but we could have had them cut together so that we could get a little bit more um worry <laughs> yeah so yeah that's the thing it's like is this the too long in hollywood problem is there producer interference is there a worry about palatability yeah i i, I don't know i mean I'm, I'm sure spike lee has a bit of a sway for like being a, a brand name such as he is um, sure i'm not talking about like there's a, still lot. a lot of money i don't know what the yeah. i mean you'll tell me what the budget is but this doesn't look cheap this film so. no he was able to stretch his budget really really well which is spike lee outside of the mid 90s has never had huge budgets mm. for his movies as we often say like a lot of people say like well you had to have cut 20 minutes from this movie honestly a judicious like five minutes and i think this would play just so much better you just get to where you need to go to but that 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 being said i think it's like that whole ending sequence kind of drags this the down a little bit for me for a movie that i generally do like i'm i i'm invested um, I will again say that John David Washington is the weak link in, in the cast for me. I actually like everybody else. I didn't double check, but I think that the other partner is Steve Buscemi's kid. I think. He looks a lot like Steve Buscemi. His last name is Buscemi too. So that's, oh, okay. that's why I say that. Or his so brother I think or something. He's related yeah. somehow. Yeah. Uh, to him. Oh, the other thing I liked a little bit is I think that it, I guess this is the counterpoint. I thought what was kind of fascinating outside of the other, the one cop. I think that the impetus would be to make the other cops like just as extremely racist, and they're like always on the side of I thought, oh, doing that. I, I mean, they're, they're a little bit too. like deluded and like power hungry, but it's not like I don't know. It's not like in the heat of the night where it's like the 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 captain is also racist and has to understand. Oh, black people know what they're doing too. I don't mind. I, I didn't mind the captain. I, I like yeah. that actor. I didn't mind the uh, sergeant, whoever his handler yeah. is. But speaking of the end, I also thought it was such a cop out that they do the sting with the one race cop and everybody give him high fives because yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's the one guy that was poisoned department right. fuck yeah, off yeah. right like, it's yeah, the whole it's, not just the it's one. the city right it's american culture so uh, like the little things like that just felt cheap to me i also laugh a really long time when adam driver turns really really slowly around in his swivel chair because he no. uses his real name on the yeah, phone yeah, yeah. it's like what yeah. are you doing <laughs> funny funny stuff okay we'll talk a little bit more there's a couple of last things i had written down here but we'll do some backstory so this movie opens up on august 10th 2018 Currently, it's rated 3.9 on Letterboxd, has a 7.5 on IMDb, an 83 on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes, from 450 critics, it has a 96%, and from 10,000 plus users, it has an 83%. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray. You can rent it on iTunes and Google Play. The budget for this movie is a cool 
$15 million. Oh, that's pretty low. Pretty low. Mm-hmm. But he was able mm-hmm. to stretch that. Uh, its box office would go on to make $93 million. So pretty nice little profit for the studio. Its plot description is... Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado Springs, Colorado, successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan branch with the help of a Jewish surrogate who eventually becomes its leader, based on actual events. I don't like that description because he doesn't become their leader. I don't know what that means, but regardless. That's I was going to say, I don't think that happened. Yeah, because like, I'm pretty sure I've seen it twice now. <laughs> that does not happen, but it's now time to play everyone's favorite game, Dave. Guess, Guess that, that, that tag. tag. Dave, of course, this, this is the part of the show where you have to guess what the tagline to this movie was. You often, Dave, are frequenting the multiplex, oh, yeah. the Googleplex, oh, yeah. to go and watch the latest films made by our friends in Hollywood. And uh, on those posters, you'll see like a little phrase that entices you to go and see the movie. Perhaps you... Dave have decided to take your well-earned 15 Canadian dollars and have gone to the movie theater to say, yeah, give me one, please, to Cocaine Bear and have pushed it across the counter (laughs) and they give you your ticket to watch Cocaine Bear. Mm -hmm. Do you not know about this movie? movie. No. Oh my God, Dave. I'm so excited for it. (laughs) It's Ray Liotta's last movie. So put that Uh, out there. I thought his last thing was Blackbird. He was shooting this movie at the same time? Probably. Uh, It's directed by Elizabeth Banks, and it is Mm. based, I'm putting huge quotes around that, on a true story (laughs) of a bear who ate too much cocaine and then went on a murder spree. Uh, The actual story is that, yes, there was an accidental drop of cocaine, and yes, a bear ate it, but it just died. It did not go on a murder spree of a small town. (laughs) Not how cocaine works, but anyway. But it looks like a fun story. Stupid, stupid uh, movie, and I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks is not a great director. No, but I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Dave, do you think one of, sorry, one of these is the actual tagline of Black Klansman? The other two are completely made up by me. So is the actual tagline to this movie, infiltrate hate? Is it, don't look under the hood? Or is it, they have a plan for the Klan? <laughs> Let's go with two. Don't look under the hood? Yeah. Incorrect. No, it's infiltrate hate is the Mm. actual tagline. Although, don't look under the hood, I think is far better. (laughs) (laughs) Just say it. I should be paid to find out taglines for movies. We should, I don't know. What is the hit rate of good taglines in the last three years we've come across? It's got to be like 5%. Like 5% good and 95% bad. Some of them are so bad. And often... Don't make any sense even after I've watched the movie. And it's like, yeah, exactly. why? Why is this? There's a copywriter who's just tasked with it based on the uh, logline, maybe. Eh? This, of course, also stars John David Washington as Ron Stallworth, Adam Driver as Flip Zimmerman, Topher Grace as David Duke, Jasper Pekonen as Felix Kendrickson. Why do you hate Topher Grace? I don't hate him. I just, you know, what's interesting about him is uh, when 70s show was big, he's one of those, uh, there's other people like this. He just is that character. Yes. So whether he was before he acted or because he was that character in his formative teenage years, it's just imbued in his personality, I feel like. And he just couldn't break out of that stereotype. And he made that teenager drug movie. He made Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And he made something else I made. I watched him in. And he just doesn't have the movie thing yeah, down. I, I don't disagree with you as far as like the leading man goes. I actually really liked him in that 70s show. That's my... 
<laughs> toxic trait, I guess, even though that show got worse and worse after every year. Yeah, he was fine. There's nothing wrong with him. He, right? I like his little cameo spots in the Oceans movies. Is he in the Oceans movies? He's in every one of them. As oh. Yes. He makes a cameo in every one of them. That's forgettable. Apparently. No, I think he's like one of the best parts. He's, <laughs> he's playing the poker game. He, he basically plays a Tobey Maguire character in the first one. That's, a, that's his thing. But he's in the second and the third yeah, one? Yeah, it's different characters. He always has, like, has makeup or like a mustache or whatever. Anyways, he's in all three of those ones. All I right. like him in In Good Company. Topher I think that's a here. good movie. Uh, Which one? Do in Good Company. I think it's Dennis Quaid. And Scarlett Johansson is who I want to say is no, in that movie. I don't movie. think I've seen it. Okay. I don't think I've seen anything else. Um, I, I, I haven't done deep research on him, but because I had a small crush, I did follow his career for a while. Ah, see, now we got to the root of the it. The root of it, It's yeah. not about him. <laughs> it's just you also want to climb up that tree. <laughs> climb so. up that tree, that skinny, skinny tree. No, but he got a reputation, from what I understand, as being a little bit stuck up. Which I think has been ironed out over the last few years, but did it's just he did very have, sarcastic? Well, yeah. yeah, I think he just had an, an issue with like dealing with other people. He has this weird little side tangent in his career. Have you heard about his editing projects? No. What he does for fun is he edits bad. We'll put that in quote bad movies. Shows them to friends and then destroys the negative. Like he never actually releases those onto the internet or for other people to watch. So the most infamous one is that he took. All three of the Star Wars prequels edited them into one film. So just took out all the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And anyone who's seen it says it's great. <laughs> it says like it actually smooths out all the things that don't work in those prequels. And you just focus on like a really compelling story in one film. So no idea. Saying, I've never seen it. So I can't cast judgment. But apparently that is true. So what you're saying is that Topher Grace is potentially the answer to the problem that we find with all modern films mm -hmm. is that no one knows how to edit anymore <laughs> he just cuts it all down. i think he did it the same thing but he won't give us the gift i want to say he did the same thing for the hobbit trilogy i think it's the other one that he did where he cut it down into one movie i tried because the hobbit is one of my favorite books from my youth i made it 30 minutes into the first one I went, and i was like clenching my teeth and i just Dave, i went to the theater to watch the why? first one why and halfway through i was like this is bad. I don't like yeah. this. And then I just didn't watch the other two. I was like, I don't, I just don't want to. I don't want to I watch I really these. like uh, What's-His-Face and uh, Martin... Freeman. Whatever. Freeman. I really like him. And uh, I love Gandalf. But what a mess. What a fucking disaster that movie is. It's my favorite movie trilogy. So glad one of those did not come out in the year 2018. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do have to watch a Fantastic Beasts movie, which I'm not looking forward to at all. So What is that? Have you not heard of any of the fantastic beasts movies somehow no. well is that the one with johnny depp well no. sort of yeah it, it, it stars eddie redmayne but okay what happened to that guy he was going to be big he's on the west end remember? currently yeah remember he was going to be a big deal i think it's his mouth it's <laughs> <laughs> so mean jesus christ <laughs> wow. uh, i don't know he's fine i just I, i've never been a huge eddie redmayne fan and did, I, uh, I, did, I honestly thought people were punking me when everyone went on and on about how great theory of relativity was. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it's actively bad, but it's like, this is a mid level movie at the very that best. One, it's the nicest I can be to this. He had a small run, Les Mis, Theory of Everything. And he did another one, the one where he cross dresses. Oh, right. Um, Fuck. The Danish uh, Girl. Danish Girl. Which is also Never not a good like, movie. 
It's not. Oh, a good this movie. guy's gonna be the yeah, you know, the future Meryl Streep, and he disappeared. Cinematography is by Chase Irvin. His top four on IMDb are a short from 2017, the movie Hannah from 2017, Lemonade, the Beyonce movie from 2016, and Blonde from 2022, the Netflix movie about Marilyn Monroe. Oh, Marilyn. I actually, I mean, Hannah's not a great movie. I actually liked it more. Weirdly enough, Dave, it's a different movie that I've never heard of. It's a, I didn't look up what the plot synopsis was, but it is not the little kid Saoirse Ronan going and killing people movie. Not the, not Saoirse Ronan killing people. They turned that into an Amazon TV show. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Written by a bunch of people, but including (laughs) Charlie Wachtel, David Rabinowitz, Kevin Wilmot, and Spike Lee, based on the book by Ron Stallworth and directed by Spike Lee. This is going to be a very short story here because there's really not a whole lot written about this because it's only been five years. (laughs) That's what I find. So the autobiography by Ron Stallworth is published in 2014. He'd already begun making media appearances even before him writing this book. And it was just this unique story about a black man infiltrating the KKK back in the late 70s. And especially when he reveals that the uncovered members who are active members of the American military and employees of NORAD. That was like the big story talking point. It's like completely written over in this movie, by the way. Yeah, I wish they kind of really leaned up into that. Yeah. Yeah. And they walk away from it. Production of the movie goes fairly quickly after that because the writers, Charlie Wachtel and David Rabinowitz, stumble across the book. What they do is they go and interview Ron Stallworth just by themselves without any studio behind them. They write a spec script and then sell that spec script, which is actually backwards of what it usually is. So that's why I find it super interesting. Usually you buy the rights to the book first and then write the script afterwards, and they did not. Um, But they are able to sell it to QC Entertainment, who had just made Get Out. So they were interested in, you know, doing some more films focusing on the black experience. Blumhouse steps in to help co-finance and Spike Lee is interested and agrees to be the director. They then convince John David Washington to take the lead role because he was a little bit reticent at first. Uh, And from there, the rest of the cast is quick to sign on. They go through filming. Doesn't seem to be like a huge amount of stories about the filming of this movie. Uh, They wrap it up in time so that they can premiere at the Cannes Film Festival in 2018, where they win the Grand Jury Prize in May. Then it gets released in the States in August and goes on to make some money. Would be nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It would win only one for Best Adapted Screenplay, which would also be Spike Lee's first and currently only Oscar win. That is that is what I can tell you about this movie. You know what I learned, which is uh, just an interesting fact? Mm-hmm. He went to film school with Ang Lee. That's fascinating. Ang Lee was part of the production team for his first indie film. I can't remember what it's uh, called now. She's Gotta Have It, I think. No, no, no. Not feature. Uh, oh, it was a so short it's like film. a short film. Okay, yeah, yeah. When they were in school together. Uh, Interesting. That's, that's kind of neat. Yeah. I know you don't like Ang Lee all that much, but I like Ang Lee. Ang Lee's, uh, you know what? I feel like at the end of his Hollywood turn, it's kind of like this movie. There's something long-winded, bloated, and blunted about what would make him so great in his youth. And I don't know how to put my finger on it, because, for example, this movie is not a bad movie, right? It's still got a lot of great depth to it. It's just uh, not as good as people seem to proclaim it to be, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we actually did talk about a bunch of the stuff I had written down here already. I just wanted to bring up, I feel this is a bit of an in-joke, but I can't verify that, because I've never read the script. So maybe this is verbatim how it is in the script. But... 
there is a character when Adam Driver's character reveals that he's wearing the Star of David and they're like, you're Jewish? Like they're actually surprised that he is, which has actually happened to Adam Driver where so many people think he's Jewish, but he actually isn't. <laughs> and he's constantly oh. referred to as such because he's oh, talked about that in interviews where he got jobs thinking that he was Jewish, but he actually ah. isn't. <laughs> okay. I'm laughing on the inside. Just a thing I thought might be a little in-joke that they're throwing in there. I think for people who watch interviews with actors on their spare time in between Dave, watching a film. Doing a day. This. You like to have like this thought <laughs> thing. It's like, this is how people use social media, even though you don't use social media. Like, this is what people must think of. It's like, normal people like yeah. to watch interviews of actors that they find interesting. Normal people <laughs> yeah. like to find out more information about the stuff that they're interested in. And yeah. you're like, nope, none for me, please. <laughs> Do they, though? Do they? Or do they uh, put on podcasts? You read reviews of things that you've watched or read? Why? Because I'm interested <laughs> in what other people thought. Well, I, I don't know if you can also posit that you're normal. Well, I'm no more normal than you are. <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. What else? I thought uh, Spider Girl was good in it. She's quite uh, charming. Yeah, I, like I think school. that she plays. Yeah, she plays that youthful, exuberant civil rights leader really well. I really enjoyed her passion in it. Yeah, I, I think the crowning piece for me was Harry Belafonte. He he's such gravitas in he's still that. Still with us too. I think he's still alive. Is he not? I was shocked, man. He turned on him like that. Can't that has to be? But I thought he was dead. And not just old, like, he's still so sharp. Apparently, uh, Spike Lee had everyone on set uh, dress in suits when he came to set because he wanted to pay better respect. Yeah, yeah, better of. I almost feel like that's not acting by most of the people surrounding him either. Like, no. they're, like, sobbing by the end of his story. <laughs> well, you know, that story, and there are many disgusting stories, like that and war crimes and stuff like that. I mean, when we, just a quick note to some of the research we did, when we read about Dirk Borgart's uh, recount of mm. the Holocaust, I still think about that. You know, that made me almost weep. If he was, if we were watching an interview with him, Kyle, yeah, and he started recounting, like, personally, what it was like to walk into the first concentration camp, I think I would cry. It's fucking scary, right? You know, the the barbarism, uh, the brutality. They had the pictures, they had the actual photographs and the postcards, you know, of this uh, brutally desecrated human being. I think that's fascinating. It's fascinating that Spike Lee chose to show excerpts from uh, that uh, film. But this is why he's so intelligent, he's so self-aware, and this is why I felt ultimately a little let down by the end of this film, because uh, I feel like he was pulling his punches a lot. Yeah, I just didn't feel that way. Um, time with like the two main films they talk about. Thoughts and feelings on Gone with the Wind? Do you have any strong feelings? I don't know. I think when I was young, I thought it was overhyped. There was a period, because uh, Helen used to really like that movie, so we watched it in the 20s. Like, she loves the costumes. Yeah, well, she she's used to study fashion, so I think the costuming and the color of that, you know, and the sort of sweeping gravitas of that era of film is a big deal. Listen, I love... The colors in that movie, I think yeah. the Technicolor is so beautiful. I also think it's a bit overhyped. While also thinking that Scarlett O'Hara as just a character is fascinating. Yeah. I actually do find her a fascinating character who mm -hmm. totally understands being, I don't know, uprooted and like, what's the right word? Having judgment pass on her, but can't make the mental leap to be like, that's exactly what's happening to these black characters and you yeah, don't yeah. get it. Uh, anyway, I still think it's an overhyped movie. I'm not a huge fan of Gone with the Wind. How about... 
the 1912 movie, Birth of a Nation. I think it's 1912. Yeah, I've never seen it before. It's terrible. Yeah, so, it's an awful movie. Uh, and no one should watch it. But um, <laughs> yeah, but it, you have, apparently. I yeah. have, yeah. I've, I've watched yeah. it all four it's hours of it. Requir- required viewing at Rocky Mountain. <laughs> no, no. Although, so here's the bonkers thing about Birth of a Nation, right? Why it got even in like mainstream culture for so many years like yeah but it like inspired so many other films like it's it's so culturally significant which is like it is true that is actually a true statement just to what dw griffith was doing with his camera the production of it how it influenced other people following him it's hard not to say that it is not a culturally significant film the film is bad though mostly because it is so violently racist through the entire thing the whole pr- concept is that black people are going to rise up and steal white women and it's up to the KKK to clean them out and bring like honor back to the Southern woman. It's bad. Uh, and yes, I'm using a 2023 context, but I still think it's bad. Mm, I don't think so. I think uh, there's a reason why there was a civil war. But when I often talk about this story about watching that special on TV of the AFI's 100 best films from the last 100 years, Birth of a Nation was on that first list when they first brought it out. It was like one of the few silent films oh. that made it onto the list. So I, yes, I sought it out and I watched it and it's well, not a here, good movie. Here's the thing, like, uh, like Gone with the Wind in the next 10 years, I mean, it's already a bit of a social pariah because people are beginning to really absorb mm-hmm. how... It is, uh, a, you know, a racist lens, but... I wonder, though, there, there's a part of me, because they already did this with Birth of a Nation. There was the, uh, quote-unquote, like, remake that happened a few years ago, uh, but told from the black person's experience. Oh. Like it, it was told through that lens. It was made by black filmmakers. Okay. It also wasn't that good of a movie, I have to be honest with people. <laughs> I, I didn't, like, love it a, a whole lot. But I'm wondering if the same thing is going to happen to Gone with the Wind. I think there might be a filmmaker who takes it upon themselves, like, we're going to remake a Gone with the Wind and use this as a cultural context lens of, of exploring I, it. But I don't know. Maybe I want to say no, just from the principle. But, of course, Sky Rich and Disney will do this thing. But, uh, <laughs> yes, that's what I want. The Disney version of Gone with the Wind. Well, I, you know, to our original, not original, earlier conversation about parading in the streets, even if it's hate. I, I've read Mein Kampf because I got it yeah. uh, at a Toronto library. You know, this idea of banning books and films. Yeah, so, like, your favorite book, you often talk about this. Is uh, very dangerous. But we are f- so fearful that these medium or drugs, or all of these things are causing people to be racist. But I think, you know, watching this thing, but reading more lately, um, some other source material, the problem, of course, is deeply spiritual and psychological. So that's the other reason I think I couldn't take this film seriously. When you do counter-racism, but you also use the same language, if a white supremacist talks about how black people, Jewish people, Asian people are inferior and are taking away their rights. And then you get a minority revolutionary says white people are inferior and they're taking away our rights. You're countering hate with hate. And I think this movie tries not to do that, but falls into that rhetoric. Mm. Likely, I mean, Spike Lee also comes from a pretty troubled 80s rhetoric where you had to fight. Never mind what, as you're pointing out, siding with short and long term. It's like the Malcolm X, Martin Luther King debate, right? Do we go out and be revolutionaries today or do we do a civil rights movement that might have an effect in 150 years? I, I don't know. There's no good answer to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to, not to, I don't want to couch this too much, but 
I don't think we should try to be pushing that type of rhetoric underground or under alternate websites. I think it should be allowed to be, well, to see it in the public sphere so people can see it and hopefully, with the hope, would be destroyed in the sunlight, right? As soon as you expose that, it's like, well, that's bad and that's dumb and here's why it's a bad uh, thought and, and thought process. That's the hope that you would have through that. I also don't think it is like canceling someone or, I don't know, the wrong thing that if a police officer is revealed to be a raging racist to lose their job. <laughs> I just don't think that that's a that's bad thing. That's not cancel culture, right? That's that's trying to find appropriate responsibility for a factual action. That fucking group of assholes that just murdered another kid. Right. Uh, kid, he's 29, but kid for me uh, on the street, regardless what the context was, all of those people should actually not lose their jobs. They, they should be tried for manslaughter. It's, it's pretty mm -hmm. straightforward. They won't be, but that's what should happen. This is a story that's happening in Calgary, we should point out, just so people know. I just feel like there are different... It shouldn't be so horribly black and white. And um, I don't know, it's just really hard to have factual conversations. Like the way you phrase that, we bring it to light and people can be convinced that they're wrong. That's not how the human mind works. I know, People, are, people don't act still. rationally. No, what I mean is it, you can't have a rational debate about it. Uh, you have to appeal to the spiritual hole that's in them. <laughs> and why... Someone like Trump says, let's get our version of reality back. And people say, yes, uh, that's not based on fact. You can't back that up with a statistic that says right. this many Caucasian townsfolk lost this many jobs because it doesn't exist, right? The town is dying because the town's dying. You know, that's, it's weird. It's just not something obviously two idiots on a podcast can solve. But I know. When I watch I, a movie like this, I just wish I was getting more. This is why like do the right thing is like such a classic for me because it really provokes this question. And uh, if you read up on, on that movie, I'm sure it's still true for today, but especially in 1989, there was a deep divide between black and white audiences about whether or not the character does do the right thing. Because black audiences all said yes, predominantly, and all white audiences said no, he didn't. To, to spoil the ending of do the right thing, is basically a Spike Lee character because he plays a character in, in the movie, basically instigates the burning down of a local pizza place because he understands that if he doesn't do that, they're going to kill the guy. So it's like, let's lose the property and save the guy's life. Um, and again, the <laughs> most white say, no, shouldn't have done that. So I think that's such a fascinating concept that like be playing within a film. Do you think that this movie... No, I don't think it does. Do you think that it's better for skipping it no i think that's what i think that's what removes it like i still think this is a strong movie because i like the performances and i do like the tone that it sets and there's individual scenes that i'm a big fan of so i'm giving this a like i guess a fairly high score just because of my enthusiasm for it but if i'm looking at the great films even like of the great uh, spike lee films then no this would not be of the ones i've watched would not be on the top of my list hmm. I actually like uh, The Five Bloods better than this movie, too. But that's also getting tricky because there you have literally a black character who's a Trump supporter as one of the main characters. And I think that's such a fascinating character to deal with inside of that inside of that movie. Look at American politics. It's not like every right wing senator, governor or whatever is white. Fuck, man. There's right. Asian ones. There's black ones. There's well, people again, that are. I, I think that's what you're trying to get at. I think maybe the, the, the thing about this movie is that it is painting with too broad a brush. And in his follow up movie, he was like, let's be a little bit more in the gray. <laughs> Because yeah. not every white person is bad, not every black person is good. Let's actually like show what's happening know, in the margins. And this is why, this is why I don't want to offend his intellectualism. Like his characters are aware of that too, but it just—I feel like it didn't come across in the movie. Mm. Anyways, we're 
Okay. I'm spending too much time saying the same things. I'm just, I just feel disappointed. We're done here. So uh, let's move into critics' choice here. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time this film was released. Uh, first person I picked was David Sims, writing for The Atlantic, a white guy. He writes, he actually finishes off his review by saying, Anytime their idiocy, these are the racist characters, anytime their idiocy might make them seem non-threatening, Lee leans in to remind viewers that even the most idiotic people can be dangerous. That simple fact is why Black Klansman's reference to the Charlottesville rally doesn't come off as forced. Last year, the sight of men wielding tiki torches initially drew derision from some as many were processing the larger, frightening significance of the demonstrator's actions. In the film, Grace plays Duke with an unctuous sort of charm, and Hauser is frequently hilarious as Ivanhoe, but Lee has no qualms about letting their incessant hate speech illustrate the reality of who they are. As Black Klansman draws to its tense final showdown, it's equally slapstick and terrifying, and rather than letting the audience reassure themselves that the story is rooted in the past, Lee firmly points the film's conclusion to the present and to the future. David's rolling his eyes just to let well, people know what's going on. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I don't know. There's nothing incorrect about the facts. You know, listening to that, you know what I wish? That's why I think they're comic book characters. I wish we spent a little time figuring out why they're racist. I don't know. Is there like an actual real reason? I mean, some people are just indoctrinated from when they're very young. That's a reason. I know. Trauma's a reason. Sure. Right? Abandonment, isolation, right? Propaganda. You don't need to touch all of them, but it would ground the character a little bit. I don't necessarily disagree, like, in the, <laughs> and just as a thought experiment. I, f I fear that if you spend way too much time, like, every single character you come in, and this is why he's racist, and this is why he's racist. He just okay. needed one. Okay. Right? He just needed one. Here's what uh, Kaleshi Enahulo, a black woman from Confessions of a Geek Mind, wrote. The most significant aspect to take away from Black Klansmen is that this fight of racism is not exclusively targeted just to black people in its community. It's an everyday struggle and fight that involves everyone, or as Ron says to Flip, uh, why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game? Because as Lee poignantly demonstrates in the final scenes, as Ron and Patrice are dollied and transported straight into the future, nothing has changed. Not only do we live in a world where racism has been used for division and political attention, but it normalizes the rhetoric like a game show catchphrase with a red carpet rollout. What makes the situation dangerous is how people continue to make excuses for the provocation. And if you're still not convinced, like a final nail in the coffin, Spike Lee projects his greatest statement of them all. The constant reflections and hints at modern day society are not just thrown in for fun. It's the heartbreaking admittance that what we're seeing is nothing new. History can be an ugly reminder because the hate speech and monstrous rhetoric have been used before, commercialized, repackaged, resold, and reconsumed by the public for each new generation like an unbreakable cycle. If that notion doesn't scare you, what will? I will say that, that, that is one of the things I liked about like you hearing some of the um, bits of the David Duke speeches on the radio, which is, again, I'm saying this as a white guy, but like, a lot of the stuff he starts off with is like, yeah, like that's reasonable. And it slowly goes off the rails. It's like, and this is why the Jews need to be stopped. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is getting a little bit out there. But you can kind of see how people can be persuaded into because the, the statement is like, aren't you feeling like bad or about your life? It's like probably true. It's like, well, these are the people you can start to blame. There's a, an essay I read. I don't know if it was a Calgary publication, but it was uh, talking about uh, MAGA. And how the theme is, in fact, something called the Great Displacement, right? Yes. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I think that's always in the rhetoric of racists. It's not like it's hidden, but I, this is why I feel like if we had just grounded one of the racists um, just to make them not hu like even human, even if to have some empathy with them so we can understand that, that this is not a monolithic thing. 
you mm-hmm. know. It's why some people, white, black, or Asian, will hear, like you said, the beginning of this racist rhetoric or open up a forum on QAnon or Reddit or something and be drawn in because they will always appeal to your sense of having lost something, Mm -hmm. you know, and particularly in this age of individual egoism, we all think we're missing out on life because somebody else has obtained it and we don't get to have it. When the reality is, frankly, nobody's got it. Uh, Society in general has actually become quite mediocre. Maybe we have too much stuff. Uh, My final point, and maybe this is why I'm so embittered, is uh, I started getting my back up a little bit uh, with, for example, the BIPOC term, because uh, I'm not part of it, am I? Well, technically, they, well, I, I don't know because and this people is the of color part. have been Am I a people into, of color? Yeah, yeah. I know. But this is the thing. Like LGBTQ has got a problem with this too, right? Yes. Because there's just this sense that there are different racial roles that different races are subjected to. And one of the reasons why Asian people don't figure into these films is because the racism is that we're subservient, well-behaved, and like good puppies. And I think that... Uh, the black stereotype is that they're uh, feral, violent, and rabid, right? So they are very difficult. The indigenous has this other sort of uh, ethereal problem of being too foreign, too very weird, spiritual, too spiritual, uh, and so anti-Christian. I know you, this has probably never happened to you, but when I go on the street and someone tells me to go back to my own country yeah, or yeah. calls me a Chinaman, right? I don't get an outlet where I can gain empathy for that. Mm. Right. And there are no films built around that, which is fine. And then I go to Korea and I'm called a fucking weirdo because I am not Korean. I don't dress properly. I don't speak properly. I don't look the way Koreans do. That's why that part with Adam Driver is so important because when you get stuck in the middle and the film passing, although I didn't really enjoy the film itself, uh, even though shot beautifully, the concept underneath it is fascinating, right? Yeah. Uh, there are enfranchised, there's disenfranchised, and there's this ambivalent middle ground where people just don't have anywhere to turn the, to. The, so. The only thing that I, I have of a similar, I guess, experience with is that uh, bisexuals often have this within the LGBTQ community because oftentimes what can happen is like, well, you're not straight enough to be in straight society. You're not gay enough to be in like these other gay spaces. So you sit in this weird middle ground oftentimes where you're not quite a part of either and sometimes rejected straight up by those polar opposites. So it's a weird position to be in sometimes. I think when I watch content like this, it's one of the reasons why, for example, I didn't watch this when it came out, other than I wasn't really going to movie theaters in general. But, you know, I'm kind of tired of anger. Oh, this is the last thing I wanted to wrap up with then. But uh, there is, interesting enough, there's going to be a couple other movies we're going to be watching, I know for sure, this season that uh, also made by black creators coming at this from a different angle. So I'm interested to see what your reactions are to those. I just wanted to say this as a general statement. I think what is so interesting to see within like the 35 year gap between 1982, where I struggled to try and find films made by black people, written by black people, directed by black people. Like there just wasn't many options. There just was not like I tried to like, there just really wasn't. And here there's like a plethora of them. Like we've talked about four in the last weeks. There's a few other ones that we're going to be talking about in the upcoming year. So I think that is a, positive step forward where we're getting different voices. Spike Lee has, is an institution unto himself. Barry Jenkins has been carving out a good niche for himself. Uh, and these n- other newer voices that are coming in, specifically black women that are now getting the chance to be able to make their films. So whether we like the films or not, I think the plus is, hey, at least the movies are being made <laughs> that maybe not would have even engaged with this type of dialogue at all. I think 
I've heard this other thing about our expectations of cultural change and how we want everything to change now, but it, there's like a statistical thing. It's like 500 years evolution for major uh, societal things. To your point, uh, it is working. Like we saw in 82, even with women, you know, there's just not there just wasn't, a lot of meat yeah. there. And then to your other thing again, you know, is it the short-term violent people or the long-term civil rights that have achieved this? It's probably both, isn't it? Yeah, right? there's, a, there's a conversation with that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we're old enough to see some parody, eh? <laughs> Dave, does, we ask this question every week. Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? Well, it'll always be culturally relevant because it can also be read outside of the Black American experience. Does it hold up harder? I think it won't. I, I think that in a few years, there's going to be, there are already better conversations around this problem. I think aesthetically, there are pieces of this film that are quite beautiful, but others that are quite flat. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes and yes, but I actually take your point. I think, again, even just talking about just Spike Lee, I think there's going to be other films of his that stand the test of time, probably Absolutely. longer. Um, but it's enjoyable. I enjoy my time watching this movie, but it's preaching to the choir for me. <laughs> okay. So uh, that is, uh, we do need to rate this film, but before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release videos on our YouTube channel. And if you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page. That's letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month and something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Black Klansman? Mm. I think I'm going to give it a three mm. and I'm debating a 0.5 bump just because of Harry, but no, let's let's do a three. Save I a think three? Okay. I'm going to be a bit sour grapes. Uh, yeah, I'm giving it a, a solid four. I think it's a solid film. I enjoy it. I think it's fairly rewatchable for me, even though I think that there's some deep uh, things in the middle and at the end that I think could have been tightened up a little bit, but uh, still solid. That means it's going to average to 3.5. Does not tie with anything here yet. But he's going to enter our list at the number four position. Again, we've only talked about five films so far, but uh, it's going to go right underneath Black Panther and right above Creed 2 for the time being. All right, well, let's find out what we are watching next week. I'm just going to push this button here. Oh, we get to talk about Roma. Roma. Hmm. I actually never saw that either. Well, it debuted on Netflix, Dave, so you didn't even have to go to a theater to watch this movie when That's it debuted. Yeah. Even before it came out, it was on my wish list yeah. <laughs> on things that are coming out. <laughs> a good old Alfonso Cuaron, who I'm a big fan of. I really love his filmography. So Is he uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona? Uh, no, no, that is, that oh. is uh, uh, Woody Allen the one we made watched, that movie. <laughs> the one we watched uh, in 99. The guy that made Revolver? Right, Revolver? You know, that's um, uh, Almodovar. That's Pedro no. Almodovar. No, uh, Cuaron made uh, uh, Gravity. He made oh. The Little Princess back in the 90s. He made mm. the third Harry Potter film, the best mm. of the series. Uh, wow. He, what is his last one that he just made? Mm. I can't remember. There's another one that he just made here too. Anyways, All I'm right. a big fan of his. Yeah, I'm starting to shrug. Gravity was fine. Gravity was uh, great. I went and saw that twice in theaters in IMAX because I was yikes. blown away by it. 
You are easily impressed. I mean, your minimum is a three. So uh, oh we'll just God. come on. Right? No, th this is the common refrain because you were like the common thing that people say. It's like, oh, gravity is so mid. It's so whatever. It's so blah. It's like you see that on the big screen and it blows your fucking mind. I'm sorry. It is so good. <laughs> <laughs> just fanboying over here. It's like, shut up. Shut up. You're wrong. The compositing, Dave. They were floating in water. That's how they got him to float around in space you like they did. You and water, man. All right. All right. <laughs> they did Avatar some... before Avatar did it. <laughs> Maybe you can start calling people from this, uh, from this list that I made potential buyers for this rabbit farm. Uh, we can scroll already. It's 2018. Uh, which iPhone is this? Seven? Dave, Dave, we are literally in 2023. You keep trying to make this be in 2018. Well, We're just I don't watching understand movies who has... Who has rabbits in 2023? My niece. My Are they niece on Minecraft? Does. I'm laughing on the inside.